of Matthew. Next week, we'll look at Mark. Uh, the third week, we'll look at Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then the fourth week, we'll look at John. And so, uh, excited to get started in that this morning with you all. But uh, before we do, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can boldly approach your throne because of the finished work of Christ. Lord, this morning we uh, recognize our utter dependency on you. That uh, we are dependent on you to work this morning. We are dependent on you to use your word powerfully to conform us into the image of Christ. We are dependent on you to use your word to uh, save uh, sinners. Lord, I, we believe in, in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we believe in the Holy Spirit that uh, can cause a, a, a man like me to be sufficient in, in preaching, though I am insufficient. We believe in the Holy Spirit that uh, can cause all of us to be sufficient to uh, hear your word, to understand your word, to apply your word, to, to believe it. We ask that you would do that, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the same power that created the world, by the same power that rose Christ from the dead, you would work this morning, that you would help us to gain a, a greater understanding of the glory of, of, of your Son, the glory of God incarnate for sinners such as us. We pray that you would do this for our own good, for the good of the bride of Christ, and for the glory of your good and wonderful name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Out of all the ways that uh, you could start a book, why, why this? Why does Matthew start his gospel account with a genealogy? Why does uh, the New Testament begin with this verse, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of uh, Abraham. Well, it's, it's all about the anticipation of a gift. It's all about the anticipation of a gift. Uh, for children, one of the uh, great joys of Christmas is uh, the great anticipation of the presents to come, right? The December rolls around, you uh, finish Thanksgiving, and immediately your mind's on the presents to come as a kid. Right? Lincoln's shaking his head. Are you anticipating it? You guys are anticipating it. Right? And part of the great joy of Christmas, the, part of the great joy of finally getting to Christmas Day is that great anticipation that led up to it. Right? You're, you're waiting, you're, you're wondering, you're thinking, you know, what, what's the present going to be? When's the day going to come? You go to bed Christmas Eve and, and, and you can't go to sleep because you're so excited. You're anticipating the next morning that the present is finally going to come. In, a, in one sense, this, this whole idea of anticipation leading up to a present is actually a small picture of history. It's a small picture of history that uh, from the very beginning, the greatest gift was promised to come. And from the very beginning, anticipation for this gift grew. If you remember, in Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and uh, because of their sin, God pronounces the curse, and he pronounces the curse on the serpent. And he says in Genesis 3.15, he says uh, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That within this curse, it's a curse being pronounced on, on the serpent, on the devil, but within this curse you have a promise. You have a promise of, of that there's going to be an offspring to come. That there's going to be an offspring who will crush the head of the serpent, who will defeat the power of of sin and death, who will conquer the curse that our sin brought into the world. 
You have this promise of a present. And so, what happens? You know, anytime you have a promise of a present, anticipation starts. Right? It starts to build up. Who will this offspring be? Who will be this offspring who will conquer sin and death? Who will this offspring be who will reverse the curse that sin brought into this world? When will this offspring come? So Adam and Eve, uh, they, they have kids. They have Cain and Abel, right? Are either of them the offspring? Well, Cain obviously is not. He's conquered by his own murderous, sinful heart. He doesn't conquer sin. Sin conquers him, right? And in his sin, he kills Abel, the other one that it could be. It's not Cain. It's not Abel. Neither of them are the promised offspring. And, and they have Seth, and, and generations pass by until you get to this time where the whole world is just filled with evil. There's no, no bound, uh, boundary to, to man's sin. And, and we're wondering, where's this offspring Who's going to reverse the curse that sin brought into this world? Who's going to conquer sin and death? And, and we get up to Noah, right? And Noah comes and, well, is this the guy? Is he the one that's going to conquer sin and death? Is he the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent? Well, Noah and his family are saved through the, the waters of judgment. Uh, but immediately after, we know what happens. Noah is conquered by his sin. He gets drunk. It's not Noah. And history keeps, keeps going and anticipation keeps building. Where is this offspring? When is he going to come? And, and we get up to, to Abraham, finally. At this point, uh, probably around 2,000 years of anticipation passed by after Adam and Eve. 2,000 years. The offspring still hasn't come. But... With Abraham, uh, God gives a promise to him, and this, this promise that God gives him helps us to better understand who this offspring will be. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 with me. We'll be jumping around a little bit this morning. Genesis chapter 12, 11 chapters have passed by, uh, 9 from chapter 3. 2,000 years of history. The offspring still hasn't come. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises Abram in, in chapter 12 and in other chapters, and God promises uh, his sons Isaac and Jacob uh, this, this future blessing that, that in Abram, somehow all the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That Abram will have a, an offspring He'll have a son. More form to the promise is added. We have a greater idea of what the present looks like. It's, it's not just that um, the offspring will be an offspring of Eve. It's not just that the offspring will be one who conquers sin and death, who conquers the curse. It's not just that this offspring will be victorious over the serpent. This offspring will also be a descendant of Abraham. And through this offspring, all the families, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We, we, uh, we start to see the size and shape of the box, as it were, of the present. More detail is added, and time keeps going on, right? Abram has kids. Uh, it's clear that Isaac and Jacob are not the promised offspring, they're just as sinful as uh, Abram was. They don't conquer sin. Time keeps going on, and you have uh, the judges. Well, the judges uh, do not conquer sin and death, if you've ever read the book of Judges. Time and time again, they're conquered by sin, aren't they? And then you get to Saul. Time keeps moving on. Where's the offspring? 
Is Saul going to be the offspring? This mighty king, head and shoulders above the rest? Well, Saul's not the offspring. He's consumed with his own jealousy of David. The offspring still hasn't come, and, and we finally get up to David. Anticipation has been growing for this promised gift of the offspring. It's a thousand years after Abraham, 3,000 years of anticipation from the garden. Where is the offspring? Where's the one who's going to conquer sin and death? Where's the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent? We get to David. Turn to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 7. God makes another promise. Second Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. God makes a promise to David, a wonderful promise. God promises David an offspring. David himself is an offspring of Abraham. Abraham himself an offspring of Eve. And and God promises David that he would have several things. He'd have a, a child that came after him, an offspring who will come from his body, who will have a kingdom, that this offspring will build a house for the name of God, that this offspring will have a forever kingdom, that this offspring will be a son of God, that this offspring's throne will be established forever. Now, in one sense, we see uh, some fulfillment of this in Solomon, right? Solomon is an offspring of David. He inherits the throne. Uh, He brings great blessing to the kingdom. He builds a house for God's name. He builds the temple. Uh, Solomon, even in a sense, uh, somewhat fulfills the promise given to Abraham, He's a blessing to the surrounding nations. The queen of Sheba comes to him for wisdom. So nations are blessed by him. But yet, in another sense, there's parts of this promise that that are clearly not fulfilled fully in Solomon. Solomon died, didn't he? He didn't have a kingdom forever. Solomon certainly didn't conquer sin and death. And after Solomon dies, what happens to the kingdom? Kingdom split in two. Solomon is not the promised offspring of David. And that uh, should lead us to expect something more. Right? The, the unfulfilled aspects of the promise to David, David leave us still anticipating a better promised offspring to come. It leaves us anticipating a son of David who would be an eternal king of an eternal kingdom, one who would be the son of God, one who would build a better house for God's name. Anticipation continues to grow. Who is this offspring of Eve who will crush the head of the serpent? Who is this offspring of Abraham who will bring blessing to all the families of the earth? Who is this offspring of David who will be a forever king? When will this promise present by God finally arrive? 
kings uh, continue to emerge from David's line for around 400 years. Some of them are decent. Most of them are not decent. And none of them are the promised king. None of them have a forever kingdom. Eventually things get so bad that uh, God disciplines his people. The Babylonians come in and, and conquer Judah. The people are put in exile in, in Babylon. And we're still left wondering, where is this promised offspring? Can you imagine being in Babylon? We have these wonderful promises, God. You promised us a king. You promised that, that in Abraham's line there would be blessing for all the nations. You promised at the very beginning that there would be one to come who would finally conquer sin and death. What is going on? Time keeps moving on. Under Cyrus, the Jews were able to return to Jerusalem and, and rebuild. Yet still, the promised offspring hadn't come. Will God do what he promised in the garden? Will God provide the offspring promised to Abraham and David? Time marches on. I imagine anticipation at some point has to turn to questioning. Is the present promise coming? Will God actually be faithful to his word? Where is the promise offspring in which all our hope rests? Where is the one who will crush the head of the serpent? Where is the one who will be victorious over sin and death? Where is the offspring of Abraham who will bring blessing to all the families of the earth in this sin-cursed world? Where is the eternal king of an eternal kingdom who will build the house of God? Around 4,000 years of waiting from Adam and Eve for this promise present, for this offspring. Kids, you think waiting four weeks for Christmas is hard. Try waiting 4,000 years. 4,000 years of waiting 4,000 years of anticipation. Is he actually going to come? What hope do we have if he doesn't come? It's in this context. It's in this context we read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The context of wonderful promises made the context of 4,000 years of anticipation. It's in that context that we read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does the New Testament start with these words? Why does Matthew start his gospel account with the genealogy showing us that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham? Is it because he just really likes genealogies? No. It's because God's greatest gift has arrived. The snake crusher, the, the victor over sin and death, the offspring of Abraham and David is finally here. 4,000 years of waiting and he's here. All of history has been, has been flowing to this central point. Every event, every detail, every act of God Another drop of water in this, this great river rushing to this great moment. What joy there should be as we, we, we get to read this verse, as we get to open up the promised present in these verses. We, we uh, like children, we frantically are tearing off the wrapping paper. We want to see this promised present of God, don't we? We want to see the offspring promise from the very beginning. 
What will he be like? How will he fulfill what God has promised? What sort of man could accomplish such amazing things? Jesus. What an understatement. Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we open up the promised present of God. We find a man like no other. We find an offspring beyond comprehension. Words fail to describe what sort of man this is. We find that the glories of this man are, are, are so deep, they're, they're so vast, they're so high, they're so utterly beyond description. Words fail to describe the great glory of this promised offspring. Words fail to describe the great glory of Jesus Christ. We find that only in Him, only in Him, could the ancient promises of God be fulfilled. Jesus Christ, the offspring of Eve, victorious over the serpent. He tramples Him under His mighty feet even as His heel is bruised. How does Christ fulfill such a grand promise? How does Christ fulfill the promise given in the garden? Does he do it with pomp and circumstance? You know, does, he, does he come with, a, with a, a robe and a golden crown and a sword? How does he accomplish victory over the serpent? Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God's master plan to bring about the promise. God's strategy for crushing the head of the serpent was that the offspring of Eve, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, would be betrayed, despised, beaten, and crucified by murderous men. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake He made Him, He made Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God's master plan to bring about the promise, God's strategy for crushing the head of the serpent, was that the offspring of Eve, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, would bear our sin upon the cross, bearing the full cup of God's wrath for our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It just befuddles me, frankly. I, I, I think for all of eternity, I'm going to stand in wonder of this, of the, the merciful wisdom of God. Who, I, we, none of us could hatch up this plan. That the way the promised offspring defeated the curse was by bearing the curse. That the way the promised offspring defeated sin was by being sinned against. That the way the promised offspring defeated death was through him dying. That the way the promised offspring defeated the devil was by opening himself up to a full frontal assault from the devil. Can you, can you fathom that? Who can, who can comprehend the, the wisdom and, and the mercy that God displays in the way that he crushes the head of the serpent? It's amazing. It's amazing. This promised gift, Jesus Christ fulfills the promises made in the garden. Jesus truly did crush the head of the serpent as he lay on that tree. The anticipated promised one has come. He came. Are there promises that God has made to you in His Word that you have been anticipating for so long? 
Does it seem like they will never come to pass? Lord, you, you've promised to work all things uh, for good. Where is the good? Lord, you promised to make me more like Christ. When will my sin be overcome? Lord, you, you've promised... We anticipate the, the fulfillment of God's promises, but over time, anticipation can turn to questioning, can it? Where is the promise fulfillment? Listen, Christian, God will do what he has promised. God will do what he has promised in his own perfect timing. God will do what he has promised in his own perfect way. Often God's promises, the fulfillment of them, take time. And most of them will take a lifetime. Often God's fulfillment of his promises happen in a way that seem contrary to his promises. If God accomplished victory over sin and death through sin and death, should we be surprised when the good he accomplishes for us is often veiled in the bad? If we, if we could just understand this and believe it, what hope can we have? The God who saved me from my rebellious sin and the wrath I deserve did so through the murder of Christ. The God who worked the greatest good for me out of the greatest evil ever committed is the same God accomplishing great good for me even out of the painful things, the bad things, and even the evil things of life. Who can defeat God from accomplishing what he has purposed and promised? What power does evil have over the God who uses it to accomplish good? God fulfilled the promise made in the garden in Christ. And he will fulfill the other promises he has made to you, Christian. He's faithful. What about the promises made to Abraham? Jesus, after all, is the son of Abraham. Is he the promised offspring of Abraham? Turn to Galatians chapter 3 with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ is the promised offspring of Abraham. That leaves us wondering. If he is the promised offspring of Abraham, how does he bring blessing to all the families of the earth? Because that, that's what he's supposed to do. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, that same chapter. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You know how we sing that song when you're kids? Father Abraham had many sons. You don't want me to sing anymore. I'm one of them, so are you. By faith, right? Just as, uh, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God is preaching the gospel to Abraham when he says, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Who are the ones who are blessed? Those who are sons of Abraham through faith. Both Jew and Gentile. How is this blessing brought to them? Through Christ 
the offspring of Abraham who brings blessing to all the nations. What blessing does he bring? He brings the blessing of sins forgiven. Righteousness given. Peace with God. Adoption as sons. Eternal bliss in the very presence of God and some in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is brought to those who have faith in him. And he brings these blessings to all the nations. People uh, are blessed throughout the world because of the finished work of Christ. There are Christians in America. There are Christians in Burundi. There are Christians in Spain, in China, in Australia, all over the earth. Truly, in, in Christ, all the nations shall be blessed. As the gospel goes forward, as, as men and women come to faith in Christ, as men and women have their sins forgiven and uh, uh, Christ's righteousness credited to their account, as they're adopted as sons of God, these wonderful blessings are brought through all, uh, out throughout the world to all the nations. This is why we support missionary efforts. Because we believe that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. We want to have the gospel proclaimed all over the world because we believe and we're confident that in Christ all the nations shall be blessed. That at the end of time, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation praising God for the redemptive work of Christ. And so we send forward missionaries to, to every place. This is why we are committed to sharing the gospel here in Fallon, because God has determined to save even people from Fallon. And we're confident in it. He's going to do it. And so what do we do? We go out and share the gospel, because in Christ Jesus, all the nations shall be blessed. Christ is the promised offspring of Eve. He's the promised offspring of Abraham. But what about David? Matthew 1.1 tells us that Jesus is the son of David. Again, God promised that David's offspring would have a kingdom established by God. David's offspring would be on the throne of a forever kingdom. David's offspring would build a house for God's name. And David's offspring would be a son of God. According to Matthew one one, Jesus is the son of David, but is Jesus the, the promised son of David? Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 30. And as we read this, I want you to, to think about, think about the parallels between uh, the promise given to David and these verses. Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 30 through 33. This is an angel uh, proclaiming what will happen to Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Listen. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, Son of God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, descendant of David with a throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You seeing the parallels? You seeing the fulfilled promises? Luke doesn't just choose these words. The angel doesn't choose these words willy-nilly. It's fulfillment of the promises given to David. Jesus is the Son of God on the throne, reigning forever over the kingdom given to him by the Father. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the babe of Bethlehem, the son of David, born a child and yet a king, born to reign forever over his kingdom. The promise this promised present of the forever king with a forever kingdom is also building a house for God's name. This promised house is far better than the temple that Solomon built. 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Making you guys do uh, some sword drill practice here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. L- listen for the, the, the words, uh, the house of God, these sorts of images, the temple, these sorts of things. And see how Paul applies them. See then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, Gentiles. See then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, are also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You hear the language there? Household of God, temple in the Lord, dwelling place for God. This, this house of God being described here is made up of Jew and Gentile. It has Christ as its cornerstone. And it's being built up into a holy temple in the Lord. This house of God, this temple that the Spirit builds upon Christ as the cornerstone is composed of all those who are united to Christ through faith. Christ is building the house. We are the house of God that the promised offspring is building up for God's name and glory. It's amazing. Christ is doing it. He's doing it right now. He's building up a house for God's name. And Christ will finally and fully build up this house to the glory of God's name. So what does that mean for us? Well, if Christ is doing it, we can have every confidence to pursue building the house of God together. If he's the one doing it, we go for it. Because he is building the house, we have confidence to build Because he is building the house, we have the confidence to teach the full counsel of God's word. Because he is building the house, we have the confidence to proclaim the gospel to sinners. Because he is building the house, we have the confidence to pray that he would build his church, because he's doing it. Because he is building the house, we have the confidence to use what God has given us to the benefit of his church. Because he is building the house, we have the confidence to disciple our kids, to disciple our grandkids. Because he is building the house, we know that we do not labor in vain. He's building the house of God. He's going to do it. Jesus, Jesus is truly the promised offspring of David who is building and who will finally and fully build a house for God's name. Jesus truly is the son of Abraham, the son of David, the offspring promised at the beginning. So many years of anticipation finally leads to this, the, the wonderful joy of the promised present. Christ, the promised present, the greatest gift has arrived. He's here. The question, the question for you this morning, do you have this precious present? Do you have this glorious gift Is Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, yours? Do you want this gift? Do you wonder, what must I do to have this gift of Christ as my Savior? To have Christ as my King? It's through simple faith. God right now is offering to you the gift of His Son. Do you have Him? Do you want Him? Lay hold of Him by faith. Believe that you must have this gift because you must have this gift. You must have Jesus Christ. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You must have this gift Believe that you must have Christ as your Savior King. 
Believe that Christ is yours because God has given him to you. Do not reject this gift. Look to Christ and receive him. Do you feel, perhaps, do you feel unworthy to have Christ? How could someone like me have the Son of God as a gift? Do you feel unworthy to have Christ? Your unworthiness is actually what makes you fit for the gift. The gift is only given to those who are unworthy of it. Receive this gift. Rejoice over this gift. Christian, rejoice over this gift. You may not have wealth this Christmas, but Christ is worth beyond all all else. You may miss family and friends who have passed on. Christ is the best of brothers and the best of friends. You may not have health, but Christ is the great physician. You may have nothing in this life, but you have the greatest gift of all. Jesus Christ as your Savior King. You have God as your God. And there's nothing better than that. Men, if you would uh, come forward, those who are serving communion. As we partake in communion, let us remember this great gift. The gift of the body and blood of Jesus Christ for sinners such as us. Let us remember that though we have great sin, we have a greater Savior. As we partake in communion, we're actually partaking of Christ, as it were, in remembrance of what He's done for us, in remembrance of the glory of the gift that He is. This, uh, th- this time is, is, a, is, is a holy moment. This is just for those who are united to Christ through faith. So if that's not you this morning, please uh, don't, don't take communion with, with us. Uh, you taking communion would be as if you were saying that you were a Christian. And so if you're not, uh, please, please don't do that. And so first we come to the bread. Amen, uh, if you would get the plates. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. As we pass the bread, let us consider together our great need for a Savior, a great need for this gift who has come. And let us remember the glories of the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember that he gave his body for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of his body, his body which was marred, which was beaten, his body which bore the full weight of our sin, his body which bore the full wrath for our sin. Lord, we confess that we have great sin, but we feast on this wonderful feast the body of Christ broken for our sin. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Men, if you would distribute the bread during this time, again, consider the glory of Christ and your great need for Him.
Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we uh, come to the cup. Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As we pass the cup, spend time rejoicing over the great salvation that you have in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, that they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, that you have a future hope with the God who saved you in eternity with Him. Let's go ahead and, and pray for the cup. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful truth that, that the God that made us is the God who saves us, that the, the God who created all things the God who has been offended by our sin, that, that you are the God who also bears our sin, that, that though our sin is filthy, that Christ's blood is the best cleansing agent there is, that Christ's blood cleanses our filth away, that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That, that we're made pure in your sight because of the blood of Christ. We thank you for that. We thank you that because of Christ's death and Christ's life, we have uh, the future hope of eternity with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I have, this is probably the greatest blessing for me to be able to tell you, that if you're united to Christ through faith, you've confessed your sin before him, I get to proclaim to you today that because of the finished work of Christ, you are forgiven. Amen? Amen. Uh, this is the time of the month in which we um, take our benevolence offering. If you would like to give specifically for um, 
needs within our body or our community can, can do that. Just write benevolence on there. There will be a, a prayer couple down here as well. Um, but we, before we do that, let's conclude in prayer ourselves together. Father, we thank you for the, the wonderful truth that Christ has come, that the gift has come, that you've been so faithful to provide what we couldn't provide for ourselves, the blessing of sins forgiven, of righteousness given, of a restored relationship with you. Lord, help us this time of year to rejoice over this promised present of Christ. And Lord, as we anticipate the day in which Christ will come again, help us to remember that, that just as you were faithful to fulfill your promise in the garden, you will fulfill that promise as well. Help us to go forward today with joy in our hearts over which you have given us in Christ at the expense of his life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You may be dismissed.